Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? We hope your Friday is treating you well. This is Kanoa Leahy. This is Let's Talk Sports coming to you live from Las Vegas, situated right here, right in front of the Cal Sports Lounge at the California Hotel and Casino. And I'm being joined here on this Friday by my guy, my resident football guru and the guy who will be on the television broadcast tomorrow of University of Hawaii UNLV football, Rich Miano. What's up, Rich? How you doing? Doing well. I, I just had like a couple of mile walk it seemed like and there were all <laughs> kinds of objects to look at yeah so uh w- the walk up the fremont experience as it called uh boy is it an, an experience. experience like no other people watching to levels that you could never previously imagine i've run down on a lot of kickoffs before in my <laughs> life and if you don't have your head on a swivel you will miss something yeah yeah there's a there's a lot going on for sure a lot of shady stuff in some situations uh, going on but now scary. we're at the cow we're feeling good uh, we see a lot of familiar faces here as uh, usually is the case uh, here at the california hotel and casino and of course so many people in town for this university of hawaii UNLV football game and we had an opportunity rich to go check out uh, UNLV we have uh, as uh, a part of our preparation for the game some uh, scheduled sit-down sessions with uh, the coaches for both stabs so uh, we went out to Samstown where the University of Hawaii football team stands sat down with Timmy Chang and Jacob Yoro uh, and then we matriculated over to UNLV and the Fertitta football complex uh, to sit down with Barry Odom and the coordinators for the Rebels uh, I think the first thing that obviously pops into your mind when you pull up there rich is unlv's facility that fertita football complex which was erected in 2019 and is now adjacent to a brand new double practice field uh, where they can just walk through these glass doors from the weight room and out onto the practice field with this brand new artificial turf it is a sight to behold yeah and it was 36 million dollars right in 2019 so i don't know what that inflation is worth now but just peg it at somewhere around 45 50 million probably cost about 75 if you built it in hawaii but <laughs> the thing is i i was tempted to not only get a protein bar and a protein shake and, and get some you know hydration and nutrition but i almost wanted to get my hair cut in their barber yeah, shop yeah. as they were like lined up for the barber shop and then the nutrition and then the weight room i wanted to work out in there and then i wanted to go into the hot tub cold tub the the facilities are a pack 12 level oh yeah for sure and uh you you would know that previously you know when the pack 12 was still kind of a thing that had potential to trend upwards we'll see what happens in the future here uh but unlv had some of those aspirations uh you have now this new head coach in barry odom uh, who comes in he is the first uh head coach hired by unlv with previous fbs experience since john robinson who of course is a football hall of famer was there at unlv i believe the years were 99 to 2004 Uh, and so barry odom comes in and has at least through the first four games a level of success that all the coaches that were hired in between that didn't have that previous FBS experience were not able to accomplish. And only four games in, true, but this is now a UNLV team that goes into this game as double-figure favorites against Hawaii and seems to be certainly with 55 newcomers on the roster headed in the right direction. Yeah, and I think it was 1987 Wayne Nunley the last time they were 3-1, and one. so you're talking decades ago when the 
they got off to this type of start. And, you know, I asked Mark Wellington, who is their sports information guy, when will we see big crowds? Because this is a transient town. It's a building community. It's a building program. And he said probably after a couple of consecutive bowl games. But when you look at the winning percentage of UNLV, it's right there where Hawaii was. And they've been to three bowl games in three decades. So this program has not seen a consistent winner in decades. And uh, But I think the town's pretty fired up. Yeah, well, I want to get into some of the specifics here about UNLV because uh, we had some interesting conversations, not just with the head coach, uh, but also with Brendan Marion, the offensive coordinator who used to be a receivers coach at the University of Hawaii under Todd Graham in 2020. And this guy has really built a resume and is going to one day, I think we're both convinced, be a head coach at the collegiate level. And I do want to get into uh, what he created as an offense, the go-go offense. He is the architect. He is the creator. uh, And we definitely want to get into some of the details of that and what awaits Hawaii in this game tomorrow. But I wanted to once again officially welcome everybody. Happy Aloha Friday, of course. Here on this show, we refer to Aloha Friday as Kahala Friday on Let's Talk Sports uh, with Kanoa Leahy. I'm wearing my Kahala Aloha shirt. You've been kind of uh, ogling uh, the style that I'm bringing here to the table just outside the Cal Sports Lounge there, Rich. Uh, and you can uh, pick up a Kahala Aloha shirt as well. Just visit one of Kahala's six locations island-wide, or you can visit them online at kahala.com to get yours today. Uh, and so, uh, Rich, when we talk about UNLV and we talk about the specifics uh, of this offense, the go-go offense. So basically, it's described uh, by Brennan Marion as a uh, two-back, um, uh, strong run, like hard, tough run, vertical shot offense. So it has that variety. It wants to be predicated on the run, a physical running game, but also with the potential to catch you over the top. Uh, when he first created this back when he was a high school coach, they were doing formations that would just blow your mind. Now, as you move up in <laughs> levels, that becomes a little bit more frowned upon to be as radical and interesting in that regard. But what do you make of this go-go offense? Well, you know, first you think about, he calls it, I think, 21 speed which 21 means there's two backs one tight end speed means instead of having that classic fullback you have two fast running backs so you think of 30 personnel where you have three receivers and two backs but this he wants to run the ball so he puts the tight end in there with two backs shotgun you know go go the question is can the go go be a show show (laughs) for fourth quarters and they haven't you know really perfected that thing yet but you see the culture changing. You see the athletes changing. You see the success in this program. And he's a charismatic young coordinator. And you're right. This is a program that's on the rise. And they're super excited about getting the Mountain West Conference started. Well, we saw the go-go offense certainly put on a show-show against UTEP last week where they scored six rushing touchdowns. Um, They accumulated a a bleep ton of yards. Uh, It was also an offense that, like you said, hasn't necessarily been consistent through four quarters. But it was strong. Strong enough when they needed it to be the most against Vanderbilt when they had to come from behind and win after Doug Brumfield, their starting quarterback, went down with an injury. And you have former Kaimuki Bulldog, Jaden Maiava, who then entered the game, and he was able to rally the troops. And in the process, he was in Mountain West Conference Freshman of the Week, got the start last week against UTEP as well. That is the big mystery as to who is going to be the starting quarterback tomorrow. Barry Odom seems to be uh, still attached to mum being the word. It'll be a game time decision at least by all accounts uh but this is a an an offense that we have seen 
a, a level of explosiveness here in different stretches through the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and Jaden Maiava, I remember when he was at Kaimuki High School before he transferred to Liberty, and I watched this kid, you know, he was a big, strong-armed, athletic guy, and I knew he was going to have success at the D1 level. And it's probably come a little quicker than some people thought because Brumfield's a captain. Brumfield's got twitch. He's that 11th guy. He's the guy you have to defend against. He's that plus one. He's really athletic, and he's had some success in this program. But Jaden Maeva can throw it. He can run. He, they're not changing their plays, their playbook, their scheme, anything that they do offensively because this young freshman is the real deal, and it's exciting. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out to you uh, the most when you watch this offense and watch both quarterbacks in there, Brumfield, who is 6'6", 225, fleet of foot for sure. Jaden Maeva, who might not quite be the same runner when he gets full gate uh, that Brumfield is, maybe not quite as slippery, but very similar in his ability to utilize his leg as a versatile threat type of QB. But he's a big guy, too. He's about 6'4", 6'5". He's 220 pounds. Uh, and so these are two QBs that really look the part, and they can see uh, from with their size, they can see things on the field that maybe a lot of other QBs can't. Yeah, and against Vanderbilt, right, which was SEC team, although they got to play them at home in this beautiful $1.9 billion Allegiant Stadium, it was 17-0 in the second quarter. Maeva came in and engineered and constructed a drive after drive after drive. One of the most exciting games I've seen, one of the best comebacks that I've seen in college football this season. And you know, it's hard when your backup comes in and plays so well, when you have a captain, a senior, a guy that's done, been there, done that. This is somewhat of a quarterback controversy, and you may see both of them, but it's going to be interesting who starts this football game. Yeah, Barry Odom has continually said there is no controversy. He has said that this is Doug Brumfield's starting position if he is healthy. I think the only problem with that is he hasn't exactly <laughs> indicated how healthy he is, and I think that is absolutely by design. I don't think he wants to let the word out uh, to uh, their opponent this week, Hawaii, and really anybody else, exactly who is going to be the starter. Um, again, they both have shown flashes of being able to be effective. Jada Maiava, for what it's worth, through the only touch touchdown pass that this offense has thrown. Can you believe that? Just one touchdown pass this season for this offense, but an offense that also has 14 rushing touchdowns, which is actually tied for fourth most in the nation. Yeah, and you look at the head coach, right? So he's got a defensive background. If you look at his resume, he started in high school football, and then he became like a recruiting coordinator, so he was kind of like an administrative guy. Then he became a DC, safeties coach DC. Then he went to college, became a head coach. But those type of guys, old school defensive guys, want to do two couple of things, right? They want to run the football, hence the 14 rushing touchdowns. They want to play good defense, which they're still trying to work on that, and then play good special teams. And they got somebody special on special teams. Not only the coach who had come from, I think it was uh, Virginia Tech, who was known for special teams maybe yeah. throughout the last three, four decades. They got a player in kickoff and punt return that can take it to the house. Yeah, you're talking about special teams coordinator James Shebest. He was, uh, he's considered really widely as one of the top special teams minds in the game. Uh, it's funny because I think special teams often gets overlooked as far as the architecture and structure of it, right? It's sort of, yes, you have all three phases of the game, but special teams is usually prioritized at the bottom as number three. Uh, and so you don't think of the coordinators necessarily as these like brilliant minds, and yet this is how this guy actually is considered. He's a two-time national special teams coordinator of the year when he was with Virginia Tech as well as another time when he was with Ole Miss. Uh, so this is, this is no joke, and he has one of the um, 
premier weapons when it comes to the return game in Jacob DeJesus, who's a 5'7", 175-pound junior. We mentioned the one touchdown pass that was thrown by Jaden Maiava, the only touchdown pass this season for UNLV. Well, DeJesus is the guy that caught it, and this is a guy who is leading the nation in total kick return yards, had a 96-yard uh, return on a kickoff against Bryant in their season opener. Uh, this is a guy who is averaging 31 and a half kickoff return yards uh, each time he fields one and tries to levy a return. And uh, we talked with, as mentioned, uh, his offensive coordinator, Brennan Marion. <laughs> what he said about DeJesus was hilarious. He said, uh, we call him Baby Jesus. And he said, uh, God gave him everything but height. He has everything else that you want in a football player. Yeah, and then he made the comparison to Devon Best, who they, Brendan Marion and Devon Bass were both at the Miami Dolphins at the same time, so there was a great comparison. But I think he didn't really ever see Chad Owens because when you talk about size, punt return, yeah. kick return, in the slot as a receiver, he's probably a lot like Chad Owens. And to me, that's the second most explosive, dangerous player offensively in the history of Hawaii football in that's a scary thought. That was the first thing you mentioned to me when we watched some of the, the film and, and some of the footage on this team. Uh, you said, hey, that return guy, he is Chad Owens-like. And then and, and how about this? Barry Odom starts every single practice with special teams. That will get your attention offensively and defensively on the importance of special teams. All right. Well, uh, based on what we saw, I want to ask you on the other side of this break uh, how Hawaii's defense can turn the go-go offense into a no-go offense, if that is even possible. Interestingly enough, uh, Hawaii saw a team that at least has some similar mentalities and principles and disciplines even offensively when they played New Mexico state last week and of course it was a tale of two halves they were able to turn it around and find ways to be effective in the second half they're going to have to be able to do that for four quarters perhaps uh tomorrow against unlv so i'm going to ask you about that on the other side of this break it's let's talk sports it's kahala friday i got my man resident football guru rich miano in the house we're live from the cal sports lounge in las vegas and we'll be back to talk a little bit more uh unlv football when we come back What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here coming to you live on this Kahala Friday edition of the show from the Cal Sports Lounge. That's right. We're live in Las Vegas, and I'm being joined by my resident football guru, none other than Rich Miano. 808-296-1420, by the way, the number to call. You can text in via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, we're talking about UNLV, Hawaii going to be going up against this go-go offense. How do they turn it into a no-go offense, if that's even possible? A little bit later on in the show, we're going to be talking about how the Rainbow Classic in men's basketball is going to be a no-go here for the first time in forever. Uh, we're going to be talking with Brian McInnes of Spectrum News as he was the one who broke this story and he's going to break down some of the further details of it. So uh, the no-go is going to be a theme here for the next couple of segments, but let's hit the text line because we do get a text here uh, hoping Verdell Edwards is back and also a happy Aloha Friday. Uh, we are getting word that it is unlikely we are going to see Verdell Edwards here uh, tomorrow. I think this is an injury that is going to linger a little bit longer. Uh, Hawaii cannot wait to get to the bye week next week because they're a little bit banged up, particularly on defense. Yeah, and much more transparency coming out of Timmy Chang and the University of Hawaii staff, so he will be out of this game. But Cam Stone, 
little banged up, but he will play. Then you got Jojo Forrest on the other side, and you got uh, a couple of other guys, Caleb uh, Brown, I think it is. Yeah. And um, so they're thin at the cornerback position. Verdell is a captain. Verdell gives you that strength, that size, that length, uh, that experience. So that is a big loss. He is a very good football player, and Hawaii will miss him. Yeah, so uh, that's that's uh, among the injuries that Hawaii is going to have to overcome. Uh, we already know, obviously, about Logan Taylor, but even some of the guys who were like the second-tier guys, the Nalu next man Emerson. up guys. Uh, Nalu Emerson, Anthony Sangupolutele, former UNLV Rebel, as a matter of fact. He's probably going to be out as well. Ezra Ivaimalo is out. That's That's, right. Those are two three techniques, and if you follow football, three techniques, basically a pass-rushing specialist, guys that line up on the edge of the guard, and uh, not having those two guys will... They, they need depth at the defensive line position. As good as Sauce Gardner is, I think for, for e. Sila, it will be uh, yeah. activated this game. So they, there is some depth, but it's those quick guys sometimes that make a difference on third and long and passing situations. All right, so uh, let's try to translate that now with some of the personnel issues that Hawaii might be dealing with on the defensive side. How do they try to make the go-go a no-no offensive scheme? Well, well you know, and we kind of broached this subject to Jacob um, Euro in terms of like what was the difference between the first half and the second half did schematically did you change did you change anything technically and basically he said no he said basically they tackled better they they got off blocks they did their responsibility they got people to the football these are two to three running backs one that averages like 7.8 yards a carry the other one that can take it to the house on on any occasion with the speed and, and the linear you know ability Guess what? If you don't tackle these guys, it's going to be ringing of the slot machines. Yeah, yeah. That's There's some speed out there on the field, and I think that we are starting to see uh, the Miami Dolphins being a prime example of this, uh, that the acquisition of speed, speed on speed on speed, if you can get enough guys who have that kind of, if not elite level speed, can at least run well enough to give you a little bit more of that edge. We're seeing that that's becoming a very uh, popular mentality and approach here uh, in college football and the pros, and UNLV has some of that. Yeah, they have the speed, and the thing they have I think that's better than anybody Hawaii has faced this year is the dual threat quarterback, and when I say that, University of Albany had a dual threat quarterback, but he didn't throw it that well. We, we, we saw that uh, New Mexico State University had a dual-threat quarterback, but, again, he didn't throw it that well. I think Maiava throws it better than both of those guys and runs comparable. I think Brumfield, on the other hand, runs better than those guys and throws it comparable. So this will be the plus one, the 11th guy that you have to defend against, the end who has to play the RPO, uh, the zone read. It's going to be a responsibility type of thing, too, and you got to tackle the quarterback, which, to me, is one of the hardest things to do in football, that 11th guy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I think what excites me about the idea, just the general idea uh, that we have a uh, offensive coordinator for UNLV, Brandon Marion, who is bringing this kind of new offensive look right to the table, yeah. something that he kind of created, right? I mean, we always think the architects of football are guys that go like generations back, decades back, right? But this is a guy who is still 36 years of age. He came up with this this somewhat unique offensive concept when he was a high school coach, and now they're applying it here at UNLV. And I think that that's actually something that has changed here over the last decade or so. Uh, uh, where there was a lot of innovation in college, particularly offensively speaking, right? Where you had a lot of uh, the Chip run Kelly. and gun, run and shoot. You had Chip Kelly. You had all these uh, former high school Hal coaches. Uh, Hal Mummy. Uh, that 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 were able to find and get jobs 
uh, in uh, college football, and so they were able to apply some of these new wave, uh, innovative kinds of offensive schemes, uh, whereas in the NFL, things were just very cookie-cutter across the board. Uh, and that's why when you had players uh, like Michael Vick or like Tim Tebow, when they went to the NFL, there wasn't necessarily a scheme that was created for them to be able to fully benefit from their skill set. That has changed here over time, where now you see more of the offensive innovation in the NFL, all these young coordinators and young head coaches, and if anything, college has now become a little bit of a cookie-cutter type of game where a lot of the offenses across the board just kind of look the same and borrow the same elements from each other. And so to me, it's kind of exciting that we're about to see uh, this, uh, you know, for the fifth game this season and, and now here matched up against Hawaii, this offense that is kind of new and kind of innovative. Yeah, it will be interesting to see, right, how much 21 personnel gun two backs, two fastbacks, no fullback. So you're right, the innovation and the ability, and you asked them point blank. A lot of defensive-minded head coaches do not want innovation on offense. They want three yards in a cloud of dust and the right to punt. Uh, they reserve the right to punt. This seems like he's, Brennan Marion is actually running this thing. There's no reins on whatever he can call and whatever he can do. And it seems like we're going to see an exciting offense with good athletes that's still maturing but with the potential to score points. All right, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Hawaii here. Uh, who has impressed you the most on the defensive side of the ball? Um, you know, it would be easy to say like a, you know, somebody that most people wouldn't expect, like a Daniel Sauce Williams. Sauce it, Williams, it, yeah. It, it, He's been and, pretty and, impressive. And, and, and he has, not just the strip fumble, right? And then, you know, Kuao Pehopa. You, I like guys that do their job, that are tough, that are old school, that maybe don't show up in the box scores, whatever else. Um, and then, you know, you had flashes of Logan Taylor early. You had flashes of Nalu Emerson. You see Peter Manuma coming on. So there's some guys that are, you know, coming on. But if I had to pick a guy, I might even go with someone obscure like a Andrew Choi. You don't hear from him because he does what he's supposed to do each and every play. Yeah, it, it, however, he does, and certainly doing more so this year maybe than ever, put up some numbers, right? Tackles. 17 tackles for him. He has a sack. He has three and a half uh, TFLs, tackles for losses. Uh, and so, yeah, Andrew Choi, I think, is a good one. He's kind of a steady Eddie type of uh, piece of, of this Hawaii defense. Uh, knock on wood, he's been able to remain healthy here for this first stretch of the season. Uh, but again, this is a Hawaii team that cannot wait to get to the bye week. And if they can somehow find a way to win this game, they go into the bye week with the good feels of now a winning streak, you would be uh, going into uh, your your next game against San Diego State. You would be 3-3 three and three on the season. Uh, you That would be a completely different kind of paradigm and lens to see the rest of the year through than if you're going in 2-4, and four, you're banged up, now you got to go into the bye week, hope you heal up in time for San Diego State. It would be psychologically a huge difference right mentally a huge difference and you you know what you were alluding to also mentioning was they'll be one and oh in the mountain west conference they will be that much closer to winning seven games you know and being bowl eligible they'll they'll, they'll feel good about themselves there's nothing like and i can tell you from a former player whether it's in the nfl whether it's college football even in high school football when you win and you have a week off coaches Hey, we'll see you guys Wednesday. They might give you an extra day off. You're going to feel better when you're practicing in that bye week when there's nothing to really to practice for other than fundamental football. It, it, there's so much that matters. And you could see Timmy Chang, 
being a little bit maybe more nervous than he normally is. You could see that in the head coach uh, for the UNLV what in you, terms what, of this what, is what important. Do you, what do you make of that? Because I agree with you. I, it, it seemed like Barry Odom was pretty was pretty buttoned up. Like He didn't want to really give us too much. And we always have to, as the Spectrum Sports and, and Hawaii announcing team, like we always have to kind of um, fight against the suspicion that other coaches might have of, you know, we're going to uh, uh, relay information that shouldn't be relayed and that kind of stuff. Like we're, we're sort of the opposing team's crew, so to speak. So I get that to a degree. But he seemed particularly terse in our talk with him. And even Timmy, who is always forthcoming, always so open, loves talking with us. Uh, we really enjoy our sessions with him. But there seemed to be a certain anxiety there. Why do you think? I think this Ninth Island showdown, you know, not just because it's the Pineapple Trophy, not just because, you know, what it means to people in Hawaii and how many fans are going to be up here. And it might be somewhat of a neutral crowd. Here's what I think. I think both of these programs have hired new coaches, one last year, one this year. Both of these programs have been in the bottom of the Mountain West Conference in terms of winning percentage over the last decade or even longer for that matter. And I think besides the facilities, which are just opposite ends of the (laughs) spectrum, the money coming in, whatever else, it's like when you're a young head coach and you're trying to revive a program, it's really important when you go against someone that's kind of like you other than in terms of money and finances and facilities this is a team that this town has waited for years it seems like hawaii has waited a long time too for a consistent winner has it not been one of the biggest head scratchers in in college football that unlv doesn't have a more powerhouse football program they seem to have all the resources necessary yeah and when they decided to share stadiums with the Raiders and $1.9 billion Legion Stadium. When they <laughs> built that new $36 million in 2019 uh, for Tita Sports Complex, I was going like, these guys are making all the right commitment. And when you heard the alignment of the head coach, the chancellor, the, the everybody else in this town about building a good football program, this might be the guy. And we've said that before, and it has never come to fruition, but it seems like he understands recruiting. He doesn't have training wheels on. You're not teaching a guy yeah. how to become a head coach at the college level. He's done that at the FBS level yeah, in Missouri. You, you didn't necessarily get that from uh, Marcus Arroyo, right? He seemed like he was a first-time head coach, and, and some of that could be uh, a little bit more evident. Um, you know, Barry Odom, I think, understands what comes along with being a college head coach. Now, the Tony Sanchez era is an interesting one because uh, while they didn't have the success on the field that they wanted to, uh, he came over from Bishop Gorman, uh, he was able to bring the funds with him. And everything that we see now as far as the facilities for UNLV, uh, particularly on campus, so much of that is because of what Tony Sanchez was able to bring to the table from a resources standpoint. Yeah, and if you talk to coaches, whether it's a decade ago or even longer, because Las Vegas was a growing community in terms of high school football getting better with Bishop Gorman and Liberty and all these other Desert Pines and all these other schools, because it's the proximity to Los Angeles where is a fertile recruiting grounds, there's a lot of potential for this program. And now they're matching the money. And it seems like the day and age of college football is free agency. Mm-hmm. It's money. It's NIL. It's all kinds of things, right? And when you have all those things, somebody needs to take advantage of that and turn this thing around 
It's uh, getting pretty uh, wild in here. We're at the Cow. We're in front of the Cow Sports Lounge. Canola Leahy alongside my uh, resident football guru, Rich Miano. And uh, is it me, or is there like a little bit more of a buzz around here, as if a lot of people have just gotten to town, uh, that, that they're here maybe for this UH-UNLV game. A lot of Hawaii people, it seems, whether they're expats or whether they're people that did make the trip to get up here. It just feels like things are a little livelier than even they have been the previous two days we've done the well, show. Well, for people that haven't been to this side of town haven't been to this hotel it's like the shakas the masks you see like the cal lees and you see the riley wallaces and you see everybody you you could take this and literally transport it to kalihi yeah like and you'd have the same audience bro yeah yeah this is all about brada brada yeah but there's something stern i think the brotherhood. Uh, i think it feels like okay we are inside of 24 <laughs> hours from kickoff from game True. time uh, there the is countdowns begun yeah there's something stern here and we'll continue to count it down as well i got rich miano with me we're live in las vegas this is our friday edition of the show uh we're gonna have brian mckinnis who usually actually is in the studio with me on friday so i only saw it fitting especially with some big news coming out about the Rainbow Classic being a no-go this year for Rainbow Warrior basketball. I decided I'm going to have Brian uh, make him work a little bit more and put BMAC on uh, with us via the phone line. That's going to happen on the other side of this timeout. Let's Talk Sports continues from Vegas after this. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here live in Las Vegas uh, right in front of the Cal Sports Lounge with my man Rich Miano, our resident football guru. We have been talking about UHUNLV, of course, that game going down tomorrow. Rich and I will have the call for Spectrum Sports pay-per-view coverage of that contest. But some big news coming out this week and actually broken by uh, one of our guys, one of our good friends and a guy who actually serves as a co-host for uh, my show, usually on Fridays, Brian McInnes of Spectrum News, breaking the news that the Rainbow Classic is a no-go for this 2023-24 Hawaii men's basketball season. The Rainbow Classic, of course, is one of the longest-running preseason, quote-unquote, uh, tournaments. Uh, goes back to some of the classic, classic days in program history. Uh, I have a particular connection to the Rainbow Classic because um, it was started in 1964, uh, and my grandfather, Chuck Leahy, had a big hand in it because of his ties with the Navy as a formal Navy. Uh, former naval chief was able to house a lot of the uh, mainland incoming teams on base and so that gave Red Rocha and, and some of the other powers that be at UH the opportunity to host this tournament and so this strikes me as something that is awfully sad and I want to talk with BMAC a little bit more about it and he joins us via the phone line. BMAC how you doing bro? I'm doing good man uh, getting a little FOMO not being able to be there with you guys and that uh <laughs> That picture that that's made the rounds was seemingly every media member was in, and uh, at least one person assumed mentioned to me, "Oh, I thought you were up in Vegas because I saw you in that picture." And uh, I said, "Nope, no, one of the uh, one of the few who uh, got stranded." <laughs> yeah, that's right. But you know what? Uh, look at it this way. Uh, you will have much more money at the end of the week than a lot of us who did make the trip uh, because of the uh, losses that most of us are getting gashed with here. But uh, we do wish you were up here. However, you've been busy uh, certainly breaking this story. You were the first to report the Rainbow Classic being a no-go. Uh, what 
are the details surrounding this? As I mentioned, I understand the logistics and difficulties of a team that's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean like Hawaii trying to convince other teams to come out here and play this team that is, I think in its current iteration, a tough out uh, on its home floor. I, I think that's understood, and yet here we are uh, now uh, coming to the realization that one of the longest standing traditions with regard to that Hawaii program is going to be a uh, non-starter here for this season. Uh, what have you learned about the conditions around this thing? Yeah, well, as you pointed out, I mean, th this is a uh, staple of the program. It goes back to 64 in its old eight-team eight -team format when uh, you were bringing in some of the, the blue bloods in the country and biggest uh, college basketball stars around. So, um, it, you know, it, it did kind of uh, dwindle over time and prestige as, as all these other multi-team events cropped up uh, to the point where the Diamond Head Classic, you know, took the pole position as UH's uh, premier holiday event in 2009. So, uh, but it's still been a sentimental part of the, the annual schedule. They shifted it uh, to the start of the season. UH coach Aranganat actually had a hand in doing that at the time as a UH assistant coach under Bob Nash. And that's where it's remained uh, since 2009. But uh, th there's actually a little bit of a precedent for this, Noah. Gib Arnold, this happened one time, him and his staff, going into the 2011 season. Uh, they could not fill it out because certain teams didn't want to play each other. And it got to the last minute, so they said, hey, we're punting on this until next year. This is kind of the same situation that's happened to Ron Godot and his staff. Uh, my understanding is a couple of the three visiting teams in the four-team round-robin tournament did not want to play each other. And that left UH with a dilemma about, you know, how, how to fill it in. And the dates just got later and later, you know, in the month of September to a point where everyone else is basically filling in all those uh, open dates on their calendar. And uh, you're, you're kind of left as, uh, you know, the, the team standing in, in the game of scheduling musical chairs. And, um, now they're going to have to fill with a few non-conference standalone games and not, not an enviable situation given where they, uh, where they are having already started their first full practice yesterday. Yeah, so what about these yet-to-be-announced or scheduled games? How many of them will be home games, or is that something that is now trending in the direction of Hawaii is not going to be playing a lot of non-conference home games uh, outside of the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic in the future? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I do want to say, like, I, I think this is a one, you know, a one-year thing. I think they're going to focus hard on getting it back in, in some form for uh, next season. But as for right now, uh, they just uh, Utah on its end announced a November 30th game. Well, they'll be hosting UH at the Huntsman Center. Uh, that probably leaves UH with two dates left, possibly three. But uh, they might look to fill it in with a local Division II team. Uh, I think they're still going to try for some home game around November 7th or 8th. Uh, but, yeah, man, it's, it's not an enviable situation where you get to this point and your, your options are dwindling for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's some, something that's uh, of concern uh, for sure. Um, and it sounds like Hawaii, if it does want to make the games, is going to have to consider, at least in this season, they're going to have to consider maybe some late uh, road matchups. They do have the exhibition game against St. Mary's, but that is an exhibition game, and it's going to benefit uh, mm -hmm. the rebuilding process on Maui. But that sort of seems like <clears throat> excuse me, another example, BMAC, of exactly what you're talking about. Like, St. Mary's is willing to come out here. Uh, Aran Ganat has a great relationship with Randy Bennett. Uh, seems like that would be a pretty natural matchup. Uh, but to get them right. to play on the Hawaii home floor in an official capacity, uh, 
that might not be something that Randy Bennett's interested in. Yeah, they, they've been, they've uh, kind of been circling each other. Those two programs. <laughs> there, there's been a couple of uh, cancellations on St. Mary's part. One, to be fair, was due to the COVID nineteen year when the entire non conference schedule was wiped out in 2020. So. Uh, but they did back out of this year's Diamond Head Classic. And then, uh, you know, hey, hey, it's great they found a way to make this uh, charity game happen on October 20th. But you certainly would, uh, you know, in probably our, our media vantage point, love to have seen them play, you know, one of those early non-conference official games. Um, that said, it's for a good cause. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really trying to drive out, getting people out there for that game. Proceeds, net proceeds going to Maui Relief efforts. Um, but yeah, man, it's, um, I, I do know that Iran and his members of his coaching tree or the Randy Bennett coaching tree are never too eager to hang losses on each other. So <laughs> that, that might be part of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is an element to this that is, uh, serves as kind of a compliment to the Hawaii program, right? If it was just a pushover program year in and year out, uh, it probably would be easier to uh, schedule some of these games because teams would be like, oh, let's go out to Hawaii and we'll get a dub. Uh, maybe it'll be a pretty decent RPI dub because Hawaii will win a few games in conference. But uh, I think this is at least a sign that uh, Hawaii as a program has a certain level of respect. Is, is that too far of a bridge to cross here, BMAC? I mean, I think that plays into it. You know, you're playing a, a solid, you know, respectable D1 team on its home floor uh, in a, you know, three-game round-robin situation. And But honestly, Kanoa, from what I understand, one of the biggest challenges was just getting some of these teams to be willing to play each other. I, I don't have names for you for, like, which schools these might have been. Mm -hmm. But my, it kind of called back to, you know, 10, 12 years ago, the situation was pretty similar. They couldn't get those teams to agree. That's kind of a unique challenge of that round robin where everybody plays everybody and you kind of want to you know, set it up so that it's teams in comparable RPI ranges. Uh, Mid-major caliber is what they've shot for, you know, since it's gone to this format. And it's uh, a lot easier, I guess, on paper than it's than proven out to be in some, some years. Uh, do you think, we're talking with Brian McInnes of Spectrum News about the Rainbow Classic uh, being essentially canceled here for this season. Uh, was good to hear you suggest and even report that uh, this is hopefully just a one-off and that the Rainbow Classic is expected to return for the 2024-2025 season. Uh, but is a format change then going to be necessary? Uh, you mentioned the round-robin tournament and the difficulties there how likely is it that the round robin format will still apply if and when the rainbow classic returns yeah i mean until we hear otherwise i think that's going to be the status quo but uh there has been some chatter um about altering it in some ways you probably i think picked up on some of the same whether it's shifting it to a, another point in the non-conference schedule as opposed to the, the very start of the mm -hmm. season or perhaps some kind of uh, format change where it's not that four-team round-robin situation because maybe, maybe it would be easier to, to get teams out if it's a, you know, a, a bracketed tournament where the, uh, the matchups are less certain or less set in stone, uh, more variability. Uh, maybe teams would be more willing to go for that. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's happened it's three times now that the rainbow's been dropped if you include the 2020 year where you know through no fault of uh the, the entire non-conference is basically wiped out with COVID so um even in its current form it's still you know the name carries weight I think a lot of old school UH fans would agree with that 
And uh, not having it there just doesn't feel quite. Yeah, good. yeah. Again, I mentioned my personal connection uh, to to the the history of the Rainbow Classic, but uh, also just as a fan, right? Like long gone seem the days. Like so far off now seem the days of when you had the Blue Bloods, as you mentioned. And I think the the year that stands out to me was 1992, uh, where you had North Carolina play Michigan in the Fab Five in the Rainbow <laughs> Classic. Jalen Rose would win the game for Michigan. At a, on a tip-in at the buzzer, those two teams would go on to rematch for the national championship, and North Carolina would win that one in the famous Chris Webber timeout game. And you know what was funny about that? That was only the semifinal of the Rainbow Classic. Kansas ended up winning the thing uh, in the championship round. Um, just wild. Uh, it just it feels like it was it was so far off now. It really. I, I mean, so many of those classic Rainbow Rainbow Classic battles happened in the Blaisdell, right? And that, was, that kind of predates me and following the program. But uh, even the, the Hawaii win over number two Kansas, that was the championship yeah. game of the Rainbow right. Classic uh, at the San Sheriff Center uh, in its early years, so the, the late 90s. It's, it's, it's an event that has endured. As you said, it's you know been one of the longest-running multi-team events in the country. I believe it, it was, at least when it was held out on Christmas time, the oldest Christmas time tournament in the country uh, until they changed it at least. So, um, you know, it, it has gone on to get get a little traction as far as this thing being canceled this year on social media, and um, I, I think that kind of proves that the name does still carry some weight. All right. Well, BMAC, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for making the time. Uh, great job on the reporting on this story, uh, and we will be talking to you again soon. Uh, we miss you here in Las Vegas, my man. Hey, keep those dice rolling, my man. <laughs> All right, you got to be, Mac. Take care. Take care. All right, Brian McInnes of Spectrum News. I'm still here uh, in front of the Cal Sports Lounge being joined by my uh, buddy, resident football guru, partner for Spectrum Sports, pay-per-view broadcast of UH Football, Rich Miano. Uh, we're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll get into our best and worst, and then we're going to uh, sign off for the rest of the week because it is the weekend for us, which means it's almost game time for the UH Rainbow Warriors against UNLV tomorrow. That's coming up after this. Hey, what's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here live in Las Vegas, uh, right in front of the Cal Sports Lounge. Last segment of the week for Let's Talk Sports. Rich Miano, my resident football guru, is my guest co-host here for the day. We like to end the show with our best and worst. So uh, why don't we start with our best? What is your best there, Rich Miano? Well, I could easily, you know, talk about the Blue Bloods prowess in college football, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, I think all 4-0. But I'm not going to do that because I'm an activist as I get older. And I'm going to go about... The UNLV Fertitta Performance Center, that's my best. That's a facility you can win, you can get conference affiliation, you can recruit, and that's my best. Oh, okay, that's very good. Um, my best is the fact that, um, well, it was a crime that was committed right here in Las Vegas, the murder of Tupac Shakur, one of the all-time <laughs> legends of the hip-hop game. It was all the way back in 1996, uh, and the Las Vegas police have confirmed that an arrest was made of Dwayne Davis in connection to the 1996 murder of wow. Tupac. And so uh, that's my best. We're in Vegas. This is where one of the all-time hip-hop legends was killed. And you know what? Justice, perhaps, for Tupac finally DNA, after all these years. DNA, bro. Technology. <laughs> okay, I'm, you want my worst? Yeah, let's go to worst now. The worst is Hawaii doesn't have a performance center. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> 
Oh, the juxtaposition of what we saw, the glorious, I, shiny I, I, facilities I'm over sad. there. I'm just sad because yeah. everywhere we go, we see these great yeah. facilities, not just for football, for every sport, for the Wahine, whatever else. And where's our vision? Where's yeah. our money? Where's our future? There definitely is something to that, right? There definitely is something to the idea of when we're walking through, like today, UNLV's uh, Fertitta football complex, it's like, wow, this is really impressive. And then the other part that you think about, like, moments later is, oh, I wish University of Hawaii had something exactly. like this. And you know what? Maybe one day, one but right day. now, there is certainly a, a pretty distinct I hope contrast. I'm still living, and I plan on being <laughs> a centenarian, so I got 40 more well, years. Well, I mean, we're, you know, if you could uh, make a few donations here, Rich Miano, <laughs> and get us there, you know, we could. Be, it could be the Miano football complex. How great would that be? Oh, that would be phenomenal. I got to start working harder. <laughs> All right, my worst is uh, you had a little bit of Pili Kia going on. Brooks Kepka calling out John Rahm at the Ryder Cup. Uh, they kind of got face-to-face -face a little bit, a little bit of uh, tension between the two. Uh, the only problem is uh, Team USA is right now getting spanked at the moment in the Ryder Cup. And, and here's a problem, too. Like, you know, UFC, you got Elon Musk against Mark Zuckerberg. That Rahm does not look like a spanker specimen so to speak but i've seen his workouts i've seen the strength that spaniard has brooks works out and we know what he can do but that would be a good little tussle wwe style yeah brooks kepka's specific dig uh, at john rom after a pretty bruising day uh, for the americans at the uh, Ryder cup was basically when he accused him of a brief television interview of acting like a child that's kind Ooh, of what he was saying and not words. so many words was saying hey look i could throw a tantrum or uh, hit a board and power just like John Rahm did, and it's like, oh, man, we got uh, all kinds of dissension on the USA side, and that's part of the reason probably why they're not playing so well. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we'll end the show with one added best. All right, we got about a minute left. One added best, and that is, uh, and I know that this has been the case for all the shows, but uh, a huge shout-out uh, to the people, the good folks here at the California Hotel and Casino for housing us, for setting us up. we got a cool little table uh, here right outside the sports book, the Cal Sports Lounge, uh, and they have just been nothing but supportive and cool, and the hospitality has just been off the charts. Uh, we're right here in the open, and it's so funny. I'm sitting next to uh, John Veneri yesterday, Mark Veneri Wednesday, you today, and, like, the countless number of people that come up to, like, want to say hi to you, Rich Miano, and want to take a picture with you, even while we're on the air. It's like, wow, this is, uh, this is something. But uh, the Cal puts us out right in front uh, where we can be among the people, uh, and I just kind of want to thank all the good folks here for making that happen. My demographics are definitely getting older. <laughs> That's your observation here today? <laughs> that uh, is. Rich, you're the man. Big thanks to you. Big thanks to Brian McInnes as well. Been fun from Vegas, folks. Uh, tomorrow it is UH, a UNLV, taking the field.